0: Okay, today my guest is Professor Kazuhiro Asakawa. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Kaz as a person, Professor Asakawa is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally, as a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Asakawa is an AIB fellow, his research interest lies in the areas of global innovation and global R&D management of MNEs, and and his research appeared in many of our top journals. In 2021, he was elected vice president program for AIB. He was an associate editor for Global Strategy Journal and a senior editor for Asia Pacific Journal of Management. He's a consulting editor for Journal of International Management and sits in the uh, editorial boards of many leading journals. Kaz uh, served AIB as a track chair for the AIB annual meetings and is a teaching roundtable chair. He also served AIB Japan chapter chair and chaired the Temple AIB Best Paper Selection Committee. He was also president of Japan Academy of Multinational Enterprises. Thank you, Kaz, for joining us. Thank you, Igas, for invitation. Uh, it's a great honor. Thanks. Uh, first question: What did you want to become when you were a child? When I was a child,
1: I want to become a musician, and I, I was really interested in classical music. So, uh, as a fantasy, you know, as a little boy, I want to become a conductor of orchestra because I was listening to all the musics since I was young and. I listened to radios um, and uh, kept listening to many, many classical music since I was young. And I was really addicted to that.
0: Do so I play... listened
1: to so many times and until the machine broke down.
0: <laughs> uh, do, you, uh, do you play an instrument?
1: Uh, yes, I practice piano. Uh, so I took lessons and then I also enjoyed playing the piano. But for some reason, I liked more uh, the instrument, uh, orchestra music, because orchestra produces magical sound. The piano is great; it's an instrument. Uh, this is the instrument I practice, uh, but I loved it. Uh, I like piano music. I play chamber music myself as a hobby, but um, orchestra is something special. So I always like orchestra music. So so that's that's why I want to become. Conductor, you know, it's a kind of a stupid idea, you know, it's embarrassing to, you know, confess, but the, no, that was, no, no, that no, was no. My, 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 my dream as a boy.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so uh, can you pinpoint the earliest moment of awareness between domestic versus foreign for you? Hmm. So this is
1: something related to what I have said uh, a while ago. Um, because of my interest in uh, Western music, I was, really interested in different sounds, the French sounds, German sounds, Russian sounds. Uh, Whenever I listen to classical music, Russian sounds very different. So of course, the the composers differences and also the uh, performance differences and and how the orchestra sound different. So I listen to many performances by different orchestras. Mm -hmm. I, I, I start comparing them, the same piece played by German orchestra, French orchestra, et cetera. And I found it more interesting to see the difference across nations. And also I went to many concerts in Japan and obviously the Japanese music sounds so different from the Western uh, performances. I started wondering why these sound so different. So this is my first encounter to domestic versus foreign uh, came from out of my hobby which is music because the music was a big thing uh, for me when I was a child. Interesting.
0: This is actually quite fascinating. Uh, (laughs) I never thought about it, but yeah. Um, How did you choose scholarship and how did you choose to be an IB scholarship? Um,
1: Well, I was uh, always interested in uh, international things. Um, And uh, in my undergrad, Uh, studies, I uh, majored uh, international political economy, and I studied um, international relations, um, transnationalism, uh, political interdependence, uh, and the linkage between economics and uh, politics. But I wasn't interested in business in those days. My first encounter to uh, international business was when I did my MBA uh, in 89. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the year when the Bartlett and Goshau's managing across border has been published. And uh, I was lucky uh, to study uh, with Nick Noria. And he was, uh, he was a professor, a young professor there. And, oh, I, actually, I, I was at HBS. And uh, I started my MBA in 1989. And the book has been published there. And I read the book with great interest and I studied with Nittin, and uh, I studied the independent research project uh, with Nitton and Phil Rosenzweig about multinational management. That was my first encounter to MNC studies, uh, but it was, uh, you know, master's level. And more seriously, uh, at INSEAD, later on, I was doing my PhD at INSEAD, and initially I was doing uh, research on uh, organizational innovation, organizational creativities, and innovations, and in OB areas and in OB department. I was working with uh, Professor Mike Grimm, and uh, who's been supervising me in in these areas. And as I was working on this issues, so organizational innovation, and creativities, I became more and more interested in international dimension of it. And in my third year, second year, third year in my PhD program, I, I was fortunate to be. Uh, able to join if those uh, new uh, uh, research project on metanational management. And then metanational management uh, was a project uh, on new wave of multinational companies uh, active in a global and open innovation. And most of the companies in our studies uh, are uh, among the Western uh, companies, European MNCs and American MNCs who are already cosmopolitan, very uh, geocentric kind, kind of MNCs so uh, I, they're very good at engaging a global and open innovation, orchestrating knowledge. but I wondered what if these concept apply to the most domestic ethnocentric homogeneous uh, nationally driven uh, multinationals such as Japanese companies so I started looking at how the Japanese companies arguably the most domestic ethnocentric MMCs can implement metanational innovation. So I was studying this kind so that became my PhD thesis. So that's how I uh, became
0: uh, IB scholar. Interesting. This was fascinating. Um, something that is not on your CV that people might find interesting about you.
1: Well, uh, my CV started uh, from my PhD days, right? So uh, nothing is written before PhD, and then apart from the music things that I just told you, um, another things uh, I'd like to mention is that um, uh, I went to two high schools, one in the US and one in Japan, and uh, I actually I finished, I graduated from two high schools, one in the US and one in Japan. So I was exposed to totally different uh, teaching styles and. Uh, students' lives and uh, the classrooms discussion, classrooms dynamics, and friendship, and extracurricular activities and and, uh, and all kinds of things. So I was amazed by the difference, the U.S. life and Japanese life. And then um, I fell in love with American lifestyle. And then I really liked the um, America as a nation and the, the people over there. So I was fascinated, and also I was fascinated by the differences between these two countries. So that is a kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, my eye-opening experiences that led me to study international phenomena.
0: It's quite interesting, actually, in your life, you got a lot of uh, comparative studies. I mean, you're basically naturally doing comparative studies since you, you were a child. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, yes, that's you're... right. I, I never thought about that, right? Because you know, I
1: started comparing um, uh, different composers and start started comparing uh, the same music played by different uh, uh, musicians, etc. Yes, that's right. And then I compared uh, educational system in US and
0: Japan. Exactly. If you didn't become a scholar, what would you do? What would be the second best career path for you? OK. Uh,
1: um, If I'm allowed to go back to my college days, I was uh, studying political economy, but then I will probably switch my major to music. (laughs) And then I will probably study music as an academic field because I never studied music as an academic field. I love music as a hobby, but I never studied musicology. Mm. But I keep thinking about even today, I am a great fan of music. So ideally, uh, if I could, I'd like to start another life studying music. And then I even pursue a PhD in musicology and uh, probably become a professor of music. And uh, well, it's too late for me to become a professional player. But I guess it's still okay to become an analyst of music.
0: True. Uh, true. A regret question, uh, what is one thing that you wish you would have done or done differently, uh, or are you, do you have any regrets in life, uh, I mean you, you you mentioned a couple of things, but technically you know, there are some people who have no regrets in life, and there are some people who always have regrets, uh, they wish, I wish I, I what kind of a person are you, what kind of. I person?
1: have many regrets, I am someone who has lots of regrets. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, uh, among many things, the one I think regret that I think a lot, I think a lot even today is that um, the decision i made to go back to Japan right after my PhD. And finishing my PhD, I returned to Japan because I've been out of Japan for many, many years. So I thought it's about time for me to go back to Japan. But I thought, in retrospect, I thought maybe I returned to Japan too soon because I missed the opportunity to have uh, international teaching experiences, uh, research experiences, and uh, and I I missed the opportunity to to be exposed to the the real mainstream IV uh, scholarship. If I were to go to the United States to get a job in America and I could be immersed into the North American research paradigms, I'm sure I I would have become far better academics in international business. And I think I would have been much more international scholar. I think because I returned to Japan too soon, I'm too Japanese. And I'm afraid, I I feel I'm not international enough. So uh, this is something I regret.
0: Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's different. You're training at INSEAD, you're training at HBS. Uh, so it's quite interesting. Okay. Um, what are you most proud of? Well,
1: um, in connection with what, what I have just said, uh, in spite of my returning back home, uh, I didn't disappear. I, I guess I didn't disappear from the world. <laughs> Well, contrary to all the expectations, a lot of my friends and colleagues uh, jokingly said, "Hey, Cass, if you go back to Japan, <laughs> you're going to disappear," because you know, everybody says, "Well, Japan is disconnected academically from the rest of the world in terms of research style and uh, uh, policies." And so, uh, knowing that, um, I was really, you know, uh, aware of this risk. So I was determined not to disappear even after going back to Japan. And then I, so that's why I decided to attend to every single conference, international conferences, uh, AIB and AOM and SMS every single years in the past, 25 years or 30 years. uh, And I tried to commit myself to the international academic communities. At the same time, I was really ingrained in in, in the local academic networks. So in a a way I did both. I was really integrated in the local, academic uh, communities on the one hand. And, and also I was, I stayed connected to the international uh, academic networks like AIB. And I, I, I think it was it because you know, it took some time. It wasn't efficient because you have to do two things at the same time, but you know, in the long run, I think it paid off because you know, I could learn two completely different academic styles at the same time. I think I, I, I came to like Although I said I regretted going back to Japan too soon, right now I feel that you know I really enjoy my Japanese academic life here because you know academic community in Japan is so great. It's so different from the United States or the rest of the world, but you know it's it's so uniquely Japanese. But I think it's it's it has a lot of values in it. So that's why I survived in both worlds. So that's something I feel proud of. <laughs>
0: Uh, I mean, I I will come to this in the advice section too, Uh, for example, what kind of advice would you give to your PhD students about uh, where to pursue uh, their uh, academic uh, studies, whether they should remain in in Japan or uh, get to the US style or the European, they're different, European style is different than American style, very differently. Let's let's go to research. Let's talk about your research. How do you explain your research to uh, people who don't read scholarly work regularly? Like you're stranded on the side of the road, you go to a pub, you try to explain who you are, what you do for a living, and why what, what things that you do, why is it important? How do you explain that to people?
1: Well, I think that, you know, I use the word innovation. Because everybody knows innovation, right? So I do what I study on how do companies generate innovation, but not locally, but globally, because I, I work on global innovation management. So I say that then how do companies generate innovations in global settings? And I said, why is it important? Because you know, doing innovation locally is probably not that difficult because you and I sit to get together next to each other and share ideas, generate ideas. Uh, like uh, sharing tacit knowledge, brainstorming, face to face. I think it's easier, right? But you know, by sitting next to each other all the time, it's not really advancing knowledge because you need fresh ideas. And uh, so that's why you have to uh, talk to uh, the uh, individuals uh, far away from you, right, to gain new insights. But if you engage in innovations in a global settings, I think it incurs a lot of cost. It's costly, it's difficult. And you have to have uh, figure out a way to manage that, right? So the challenge is how to maximize the potential benefit of engaging in uh, global uh, innovations while minimizing the potential risks and costs. So this is something I'm working on. And, and usually the people understand.
0: Sure. Um, looking back at uh, things that we have done in IBM, uh, in your opinion, what are some of the things that need more work on? Uh, things that we have omitted, things that we understudied, in IB. Yes,
1: um, among many things that you know, my own take was is that um, I think you know, I think um, how question needs further attention. How, which is process. Uh, element of IV research. And a lot of studies have been in, in, done uh, in, in causalities and asking why, what, what factors and what influences, you know, it's about causalities and, and, and determinants and, 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 and then relatively little uh, attention has been paid to how question. How do managers manage uh, MNCs, multinational corporations effectively? And if I look back to the old days in, in, in late 80s and, and early, early 90s when I was still doing uh, my PhDs at INSEAD, and uh, uh, there are you know, a whole group of uh, the stellar uh, thought leaders uh, who have been working on this uh, on MNC process like uh, Samantha Goshar, Idos, and Chris Bartlett, um, uh, Erna Westney, and John Stofford, Gunnar Hedland, and, uh, Udo Zanders, these, these great mine have been working on the process management of MNCs. And this is a great uh, uh, line of uh, uh, research. I, I call call them MNC process school, although there's no such school, right? Like a Uppsala school. So I, 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 I I just always thought of them as MNC process school. Um, but um, if you look at in the current um, IB research uh, right now, I think I don't see that many the much efforts in that uh, msc M- process management and i think it's uh, i think we need to go back to this uh, mnc process research traditions more uh, and 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 shed light on this uh, in the new context
0: interesting uh, about uh, creative research creativity in scholarly uh, research uh, i want to ask you about this process mm-hmm. uh, in a state of idle curiosity, a, pe- a person's mind thinks mm-hmm. about uh, new things, interesting things. How, how does the process work for you?
1: Um, okay. Uh, first of all, uh, if I'm sitting alone uh, in um, in a deserted island or something, I don't think uh, much idea comes up. So to me, um, I usually come up with some interesting ideas uh, when I'm doing the following, I put my, I, I think in the crossing the boundaries, I think if I put myself in multiple context and go back and forth, uh, so in my case like the Japanese academia and international academias and go back and forth, attending the local conference and international conferences and discussing in local people and global people and, and interacting with them. I think it's uh, putting myself in different context and uh, you know, me being immersed with different contexts. I think this is, uh, this is one way to inspire myself. And another thing, is, uh, of course, you know, that also includes language. Whenever I'm writing things in English and I'm stuck, I switch my language to Japanese. Japanese is completely different, right? Linguistically different. So whenever I start writing something in Japanese, brilliant ideas comes up. Wow, it's a miracle. When I was writing English, I'm stuck, but I start writing something in Japanese, I think new idea comes. So different context helps a great deal. Another thing is the dialogue. I think I I, I, I really enjoy uh, talking uh, to many people. Like uh, when I was a student advisor and I was talking with the uh, executive, the managers and talking with even students. Uh, Students are a great source of uh, inspiration, especially when I'm teaching cases. I only teach cases in the business school. Whenever I teach cases and I don't know. It's not the student's information. What student says, no. During the discussion between students and myself, the idea comes out. So when teaching facilitated case discussions, I jot down ideas. So, you know, interactions,
0: dialogue is another source of idea and inspiration. Super interesting. You just mm-hmm. said a couple of interesting things. Uh, so you're more productive thinking or writing in Japanese, and uh, you then translate them to English or you have uh, two separate lives. You have uh, a British uh, or English uh, speaking research and then Japanese speaking research. Uh, Interesting. Well,
1: actually uh, completely different because I don't write academic stuff in Japanese. I write essays and, 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 and columns and textbooks in Japanese. And I, I mostly publish uh, academic stuff in English. So, uh, so it's a different. And so, uh, so because of my training in PhDs and I don't, I don't write academic stuff in Japanese.
0: No, I, I've been trying to figure out uh, something that one of my co-authors said. Uh, I, I, I'm working with uh, Joe Mahoney on, on a paper and he read one of the manuscripts and he said, "Ilkas, you have a lot of verbs here and you don't have enough nouns. And I never had that comments before. I never understood. And I'm still thinking, I was thinking when you were talking about Japanese versus English, um, that was interesting. Uh, Okay. Um, About uh, the next five to 10 years of IB fields, what are some of the big questions that we should be asking, that we should be thinking about?
1: Yes. uh there are many uh, actually but you know I think the one if I were to choose one I think uh, the most uh, imminent one is the um, to uh, re-examine uh, the all kinds of conventional wisdom that we have accumulated over the past several decades uh, in in IB in field in the new context the new context is uh, uh, obviously different from the and um, the earlier contest because in all the management IV, uh conventional wisdoms are mostly developed in the in the era of a borderless economy a transnational economy and nowadays i think that uh, the world is changing into more uh, divided and uh, i think fragmented politicized and and, uh, and a, a surge of nationalism and and the border uh, borderless world is now replaced by the borderful world i think it's more a rebordering world and so how do managers manage transnational corporations in the era of borderful economy so this is uh, you know, that this provides you with lots of opportunities to overhaul redefine the kind of conventional wisdom we have already generated in the past several decades so i encourage younger students to really look at this what are the impact of the, um, uh, the divided economies and fragmentations and politicizations, nationalisms on the transnational management? And of course, digitalization is also another, another uh, issues, but you know these new uh, emerging uh, context that may redefine the uh, kind of uh, uh, the efe- efficient and effective management of uh, multinational corporations. Thank
0: you. Uh-huh. I'm curious about what you think about uh, interdisciplinary research versus multidisciplinary research in IB. Um,
1: yes, um, I, I would say that an IB is a full of uh, scholars, uh, uh, populated by the scholars uh, from different disciplinary background already. So it's uh, already multidisciplinary field. But um, I don't see much interdisciplinary collaboration. For example, if I, well, a lot of efforts has been done in eclectic ways because the researchers draw on insights from different disciplines, writing papers of innovations. In my case, I, I, I work on global innovation. I draw on uh, uh, literatures from political economy uh, and, and, and the economic geographies and sociologies and psychologies and strategies and technology innovation management eclectically. But it's not interdisciplinary research. I think it's an eclectic treatment of different in- disciplines. Uh, needs to be upgraded to the real uh, interdisciplinary uh, uh, collaborations. We need to work on the same global innovation among political scientists, economists, and geographers, and sociologists, and business strategists. I think that needs to be done. And I think there's a soil at AIB because they're, you know, the community is really diverse and full of uh, the people, experts from different disciplines. I think we can do it. We need to do more.
0: So um, about, uh, not, only not the progress, but the evolution of the field from uh-huh. where it was uh, 40, 50 years ago to, to, to today. Uh, is this a fruitful evolution or are we losing mm. something along the way? Well, it's both fruitful and maybe not. I think uh,
1: fruitful because I think it's, um, it enhanced rigor in the past 20, 30 years, because, you know, because it, it, the world is, um, research style has been converging. I think uh, uh, several decades ago, it was really uh, different uh, different uh, uh, continents and different worlds, or uh, doing different, adopting different kinds of research style. And uh, I think uh, now uh, I would say that homogenizations of uh, research styles into the North American paradigm, I think uh, you know, empirical rigor uh, is is uh, going uh, going on, and, and I think it's good because you know if that is going on, I think the level of empirical rigor uh, is enhanced, which is a good thing. At the same time, uh, I think. Um, if you do this excessively, you are gonna miss a lot of uh, complexities of the international business uh, problems because IB is a complex problem. The IB scholars have to tackle complex problem. And if the issue IB issue is complex, the group of IB scholars needs to be equipped with the same level of complexity. So I would say that you know a group of IB scholars needs to be more tolerant to different research styles, just as the world of IB as phenomena is so complicated, uh, co- complex. So I think, luckily, I think the AIB as a community is getting diverse, more and more diverse, more open, and uh, so we can do it. I think we need to be uh, far more uh, tolerant and open-minded to different research styles. For example, I am currently based in Japan and Japan in a way is a final frontier among the developed economies, developed countries when it comes to research methodology because Japan preserves its indigenous research style. (laughs) It's quite, Japan is the last final frontiers. I, I think least, uh, influenced by the uh, Westernization of uh, research method, the Japanese scholars still keeps the uh, the research topic which they are really passionate about, <laughs> and they choose the research topic out of their motivation interest, not because of the uh, the ease of uh, publications. And also, they 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 use a much more qualitative method, and descriptive studies, and and uh, they do research on what they believe in. So this is exciting things, right? And, and I think world is complicated. And then there are lots of problems uh, specific to that part of the world because Japan has Japanese-specific problems, IV issues, indigenous research uh, topics that needs to be tackled by somebody. And I think Japanese IV scholars are tackling that kind of indigenous IV problems in their own style. So I think diversity, heterogeneities in research approach is, is uh, appreciated, I think. So that's why homogenization convergence of uh, research methodologies and research studies are valued that enhance robustness and, 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 and rigor, right? But at the same time, flexibilities and openness, tolerances to diversity, different uh, research style is also uh, uh, needs to be considered.
0: Interesting. Thank you. This was interesting. Now, um, is there something that you say, I wish I had known this, it would save so much time and pain and agony, Uh, it would make your life easier uh, when you were going through the PhD program or early uh, career uh, before tenure? Uh, Yes. Okay.
1: It's a little bit related to what I have started to talk about um, uh, in in my earlier career, but uh, I wish I had known that uh, there are many different paths to uh, success in IB field. And and when when you're early uh, uh, PhD students, uh, you you see the role model. You see that, you know, the best practice of uh, IB scholarship. You have to be good at uh, you, 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 you should be a good methodologist and uh, you should be a good writers and you should be a you know, good um, like uh, interviewers and data collections and, and analysis. You, you should be very logical and, and you should be good at everything. But actually uh, it's quite difficult to do it. And uh, especially in my case, I returned to Japan so early. And so I'm not surrounded by the kind of uh, intellectual support uh, which is necessary to do all kinds of uh, you know, uh, great work. Uh, like uh, being a methodologist, being a sophisticated methodo- uh, methodologist and theoreticians, um, being far away from the mainstream uh, academic environment, it's very difficult. So I realized, well, is there something I can do instead? And I got some advice when I left INSIAD. And, and I say that, okay, be different. If you go back to Japan, uh, be different. Do something only you can do, right? And maybe it's quite difficult in the short run, uh, but in the long run, it may pay off because you're gonna see the picture that many other people are not looking at. So in my case, I base myself in Japan. I look at international business world from the lens of the Jap- you know, Japan- Japanese. Uh, <laughs> scholars, right? So, so I see different views of the IB world. So I think, you know, it paid off. So, you know, there's a the problem. All roads lead to Rome, right? So there are multiple paths to Rome, right? So, so I wish I had known because I, if I knew much earlier, I would have been much more relaxed about it. And I enjoyed watching
0: different pictures. True. True. Which skills uh, which skills or capabilities were hardest to develop especially if you're overseas especially um, uh, I mean your, your training is the Western style and then yes. you, you went back but yes. uh, you then realize uh, that you need to develop new skill set uh, to be successful in your new uh, context, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So which skills were harder to develop uh, and it took some time for you?
1: Okay. Uh, to me, I think, you know, it's uh, my, my my advice is somewhat different from the, those uh, in, in the mainstream uh, like a, a paradigm but, you know, since I returned to Japan and I've been struggling uh, with uh, all kinds of barriers and the obstacles and then I uh, realized that two things that are particularly important. One is the power of networking and collaborating. And the second is, uh, um, you know, focus on your strengths, two things. Uh, Part of networking is that, you know, um, I think it's very important to stay connected with all the ID communities. So um, I was lucky because, you know, I was, Involved in international management project since I uh, was a PhD program, so I I, I started presenting work uh, with Eve and in you know, uh, other other people. So, so I was already insider of the uh, the network. So I, it was quite easy for me to uh, uh, in, enter into the AIB a- 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 communities. So but you know uh, I think it's very difficult uh, for many uh, young students to uh, integrate themselves into the world. So networking, especially you are located outside of the like a mainstream, uh, uh, like a North American uh, uh, academic communities. Uh, I think it's very important for you to make efforts to connect yourself to the scholars in uh, various parts of the world, networking, collaborating, find collaborators. And then, so that's why you know, co-authoring is very important. Second thing is that in order to do that, uh, you have to stick out in one thing rather than being good at everything. So um, I think that if you identify your best skills, my suggestion is to polish it, to make your best skills even greater so that at least the people recognize you as the best in something. Even if you are located outside of the mainstream environment, People identify you as someone who is extremely good at something, you're going to survive. You have a chance to collaborate because it's complementary, isn't it? So I think rather than trying to compensate for your weaknesses, to become above average scholar, I think it's much better for you to stick with something we you are already best at. I'm best at something. I want to make efforts to make my best skill even greater to stick out. I think this is the AIB and IB world is full of talent. Everybody's talented. Nobody cares about above average scholar. So I think you've got to make yourself above, not above average, the distinct, distinguished scholar in something, no matter how trivial that is. So this is something i i I feel strongly about it especially if you're in the foreign environment interesting yeah
0: oh look at the time Uh, for the sake of time last question what's the question that i should have asked you but haven't well since i'm based in japan um
1: I would say, anything interesting to study about Japan because nobody's interested in Japan nowadays, right? Japan, passe. So, so everybody's talking about China and India and the emerging market and nobody, nobody's sure interested in Japan. I, 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 I'm committed to Japan. And Irgas, uh, you, you may feel, I, I, why don't, why, why are not, why aren't you so, you know, is there anything that you find it interesting to study about Japan?
0: Actually, yes, uh, because my uh, research, I'm an expert on Italian firms, Italian firms and especially these uh, heritage firms, heritage uh-huh. assets, heritage firms, uh, which we call authentic firms. You know, they do, they have been doing the same thing for the past 600 years and they want to excel in what they do. You know, they, yes. they produce pencil, they, they have the best pencil ever. And it is a passion for these people. Actually, uh, uh, with my co uh, we find these authentic firms more in numbers, as far as the number of distributed, uh, in nor- more than normal distributed in, in a context is Japan. Uh, we have these uh, people who make mochi. The, the, this, this family has been doing mochi, mm-hmm. producing mochi for 2000 years. And uh, there's an interview, and he says like, "Oh, my grandfather's grandfather's grandfather has been doing mochi, and my goal is to make the best mochi ever to make them uh, proud of me, uh, and my family be proud of me." Uh, what possesses this person to perfect something that has already been perfected for a couple of centuries? You know, this is quite fascinating, and uh, yeah. I, 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 I'm uh quite interested, actually, in so many things that are unique to Japan, uh, especially for IB, because uh, this is an extreme case of uh, a g- great way of testing theory, uh, all these IB theories, uh, but yeah.
1: Well, I think, you know, you should talk to Kiyohiko Ito, who, uh, who works on this, uh, you know, a millennium company, you know, thousand-year-old uh, Japanese company, you know. How do they survive? You know, this is a great. Uh, so Japan provides you with excellent uh, institution environment uh, to study longevity of companies. And my version of interest in Japan, you know, if you ask me, you know, is there anything interesting to study of Japan, I would say, <laughs> well, actually, Japan is notoriously you know, uh, known as a kind of a inertia, you know, uh, and the lack of innovations and inertia, you know, nowadays, and nothing changes. But uh, because of this environmental uh, upheavals, uh, turmoils nowadays, I think society is just about to change. You know, the mountain is just about to move. So, you know, now is the time for you to look at kind of the, how the companies and managers break free from the uh, inertia, how the inertia is beginning to break down. Finally, because digitalization is finally happening right because of the covid well and the globalization openness and you know all kinds of diversity you know finally starting to happen so this is the right moment for you to look at japan how the inertia is finally beginning to break down it hasn't broken down yet but it's beginning so what triggers the obstinate system to collapse and break down, you know? So this this kind of deinstitutionalization process of the inertia is worth uh, exploring. And this is the time for you to look at Japan.
0: True. Uh, Innovative companies actually change the end product. The the product changes, so they innovate on the product, but authentic firms actually innovate on the process, so they keep the end product the same, but the inputs are changing. So they always do experimentation. So this is actually quite a uh, challenge in, in, in this thing. Uh, I, I love this and uh, after the recording is over, we'll continue. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it a lot. I learned a lot. I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very guys. much
1: for having me, guest. It's a great honor. Thank you very much. Thanks.